Insects are all around us. Many live right under our noses and are just waiting to be discovered. In spite of their small size, insects are among the most interesting and adaptable creatures on planet Earth. We have close encounters with them every day, whether we realize it or not. To most people, these creatures are just bugs. But to entomologist Dr. Tim Gibb, they are spineless wonders. And he's here to help you look beyond the bug to the fascinating life of the insect. Dr. Tim will see you now. Since writing about the imminent magical cicada emergence last month, several intriguing follow-up questions have been posed, including, where do these strange insects come from? And are they prehistoric relics? Apparently, their unique appearance and bizarre behaviors have captured the imagination of cultures and civilizations since ancient times. Cicadas have been painted on cave walls, recorded in papyrus scrolls, carved in coins, and sculpted in jewelry for centuries. They're mentioned in the Iliad by Homer, about 10,000 BC. The word cicada is even old enough that it actually means cicada in Latin. The unique lifestyle of periodical cicadas has influenced mythology throughout history. Behaviorally, it is described as quasi-cytocadens. Quasi meaning apparently, cito swiftly, and cadence a harmonic configuration that creates a sense of resolution or finality. So in sum, it means to appear then vanish quickly. Their mass emergence from the ground has endowed cicadas with symbolism of resurrection, immortality, and spiritual realization. An ancient Chinese custom dating back to 1700 BC includes placing a jade carving of a cicada on a dead person's mouth before burial to aid the deceased soul on its immortal journey. Their absolute regularity of appearing at a fixed and predictable time represents fidelity, sincerity, and truthfulness. And of course, their long 17-year lifespan qualifies them as the entomological totem symbol of longevity. Some have asked if the 17-year cicadas, or locusts as they're sometimes called, are named after the locust plagues referred to in the Bible. It's true that locust is a name that has long been attached to America's periodical cicada. While I was not present at the time, I imagine that the mass emergence of cicadas was likely a shock to early pilgrims taking their first walks in the early American woods and may have been somewhat reminiscent of biblical stories about locust plagues. And without a properly trained Purdue entomologists on the Mayflower to straighten them out, the colloquial name locust has stuck and has been used ever since. In reality, however, periodical cicadas are not closely related to true locusts or migrating grasshoppers at all. Answers to two of the most common follow-up questions, cicada feasting and why mass emergences, 
are very much related. Let me begin with feasting. Insectivores of all kinds, reptiles, amphibians, birds, and mammals, all find cicadas easy prey, nutritious, and apparently quite tasty feasts. Even other insects eat them. Pet owners of both dogs and cats witness their pets eating cicadas during the emergence and often ask about safety. My answer is that they're completely safe to eat in moderation. Just make certain that the cicadas have not been treated with pesticides and remember that their hard exoskeleton is difficult to digest by any animal. For generations, humans have also eaten them, although I don't know why. Not that I have not tried them myself, because I have. As to what they taste like, I have found that all methods of preparation, whether roasted, broiled, sautéed, fried, frozen, or sun-dried to make them crunchy, preserved raw, baked, or boiled to make them chewy, or mixed into cookies or frozen ice cream desserts to add texture, all include recipes that call for either butter, salt, garlic, lemon, cookie dough, ice cream, or sugar of some kind. Consequently, prepared cicadas taste exactly like salt, garlic, lemon, or sometimes cookie or ice cream. I guess what I'm saying is that, in my opinion, cicadas lack flavor. And this finding doesn't sit well with entomologists who promote insects as food, called entomophagy, or with survivalists who relish the idea of eating their way through their environment. But, to be honest, for me, cicadas themselves have little taste. And I'm not alone. Others I have asked agree that they taste just like whatever is added to make them taste good. Kind of like popcorn. The taste is like hot butter, salt, or caramel. Whatever is added to make the popcorn taste good. No more, no less. So, given an option, I actually prefer popcorn over cicadas because unlike exoskeletons, popcorn hulls naturally shake loose and filter to the bottom of the bag or box. And those few that require picking out from between your teeth never resemble an insect leg, wing, or head. And if you are advocating for nutritional value, I prefer shrimp, lobster, and shellfish anytime as long as it's soaked in lots of melted butter, salt, and lemon juice. That's not to say one should not give cicada feasting a try. It's a badge of honor to say that one has tried them at least once. Perhaps your experience will be different. A more provocative question centers around the why. Why do these insects wait in the ground for 17 long years before suddenly emerging in mass? There must be some evolutionary advantage for doing so. Interestingly, my answer to this question ties back to insect feasting. Let me explain. We refer to the number of generations from egg to adult that an animal has per year as voltinism. Univoltine organisms have one generation per year. Bivoltine have two 
and multivolting organisms, including most insects, have more than two generations per year. On the other hand, insects with semivolting development, wherein each generation requires more than a year to develop, are rare, and a 17-year generation span is extremely rare. Insect behaviorists generally agree that extreme voltanism is a beneficial survival strategy that ties back to the question about predation. Yes, cicadas are relatively large and supposedly nutritious, but they are poor flyers, slow crawlers, lousy hiders, and are non-poisonous and can't sting or bite back. They have almost no defensive strategies, with the obvious one exception. They emerge all at once and in unimaginable and unexplainable masses. This strategy is referred to as predator satiation. Many generalist predators and parasites feed heavily on emerging periodical cicadas, but can only do so once every 17 years hardly frequently enough to develop a real taste for them. Moreover, the simultaneous emergence of millions all at once overwhelms the predators. Sure, some will be eaten, but many more will survive. I think of predator satiation strategy like Thanksgiving Day pies. I encourage my wife to make as many as possible and all at once. That way, I can relax and smile when my son-in-law descends upon them after dinner. Yeah, he's sure to get more than his share, but even he is unable to eat all of them. By playing this predator satiation odds, some will survive, for me, in theory. Another feasting-related question I'm asked about cicadas has to do with trees, this time about cicadas feeding on trees. We know that they suck out the xylem sap from the roots of deciduous trees clear from the time that eggs hatch until the full-grown nymphs emerge from the ground. That is why we expect the mass emergence only in sites that have had trees 17 years ago when the eggs hatched and have continued to have trees since then. Studies have shown that even in highly concentrated areas, cicada root feeding presents only a small threat to trees. Healthy trees can support many cicada nymphs sucking xylem sap without incurring damage. Older scientific publications suggest that adult cicadas don't eat at all. However, more recently, some feeding has been documented. Adults use their tube-like mouthparts to imbibe water in the form of dew, as well as pierce select branches and suck out sap. Like sucking sap from roots, such feeding is comparatively innocuous, and cicadas are not usually regarded as pests, although the noise that they make can be quite deafening at times. Unfortunately, there are some non-spineless wonders readers that presume that all insects are pests waiting to destroy our food or destroy our property. 
and if observed in large numbers, they are automatically judged to be up to no good. This is an unfair assumption of insects, however, and is definitely not the case with cicadas. The majority of any cicada damage to trees is not due to cicada feasting, but rather due to the female saw-like ovipositor or egg-laying structures that they use to cut into small tree branches and twigs prior to depositing eggs. If trees are heavily infested, like during the cicada mass emergence, and are especially susceptible, in other words, quite young, fruit-bearing, very valuable, or very recent transplants, then overposition damage may kill the twigs and branches, thus stunting the tree as well as becoming an eyesore. Control recommendations for protecting vulnerable trees may be found on our cicada website. On the other hand, if trees are mature, occur in the forest, and are otherwise healthy, cicadas present no threat. Rather, a cicada emergence is considered environmentally beneficial. Tunneling aerates the soil, and after death, cicada bodies fertilize the soil with important nutrients. And don't forget the fabulously fine feasting that is provided for many animals in between times. You can learn more by visiting our Cicada website, requesting a free Cicada newsletter, or follow Purdue Entomology on Facebook and Twitter. Ready or not, here they come. This has been Dr. Tim with another Spineless Curiosity. Be sure to tune in next month for another Spineless Wonder.